Revelation chapter 9. I want to ask you to bow with me for prayer after you found that. And just bow your heads and let's pray together. This is a very tough scripture we're going to be looking at tonight in a lot of ways. And a very difficult passage, but also a very difficult subject matter. So let's just pray to the Lord now. And ask for his insight and for his spirit to work in our midst. Father, as we look at this material, it it is indeed a a hard text to understand and to teach. And then, Father, it is a very gripping and horrific text when we understand the truth of what is being taught. And so I pray for your Holy Spirit to give us insight. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would be our teacher and be our guide through this time tonight. And I pray that beyond that, that Lord, if there's any here who do not know you as Savior, that you might use uh, tonight's message to show them the need to be right with you. The need to have Christ as the center of their life. Thank you that you love us and show us what's coming. That we do not have to blindly wonder. We do not have to try to figure out what's coming in towards the end of the, our world. But you have told us, you have warned us ahead of time. And so now as we open the scripture, may you guide us further into your truth. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Sometimes when some horrific war is fought, or when there is a great tragedy that occurs, uh, sometimes people describe that time as hell on earth. Those times often are traumatic, they often are torturous or terrible, but my friend, they do not resemble hell on earth. But there is coming a day, there is coming a time, there is coming a period of time during the tribulation when hell will be turned loose on earth. Thus the title of the message tonight, or the study tonight, Hell on Earth. I think many people fail to understand that during the tribulation time, the devil will momentarily be unleashed. When I say momentarily, I simply mean for a period of time. The devil will be unleashed, and for a while, hell will have a holiday. For a while, hell will rule this earth. For a while, demons will infest our world. That's why I said this is such a difficult passage. Not only is it hard to to correctly discern and correctly interpret, but it's also just hard information to deal with and to think of what's coming. Let's read about this time and that day as we begin reading Revelation chapter 9. And actually, I want to start in chapter 8 to get the background to remind you where we were a couple of weeks ago. Start with chapter 8, verse 12. It's talking about the, uh, the seven trumpet judgments that, that are coming. And the fourth one is mentioned in verse 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a, a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe! Woe! 
Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. I don't know if you remember what we talked about last time, but in chapter 8 we talked about all of these judgments that will, the first four judgments that will be directed toward the earth, toward the seas, toward the fresh water supply, and, and even the heavenly bodies. And we said as they came to the end of chapter 8, verse 13, that as, as bad as those four judgments are, what the writer was saying when the eagle announces, he's basically saying in verse 13, the worst is yet to come. As bad as these four are, as horrific as those first four judgments are, the next three are even worse. The worst is yet to come. In the last three judgments that will be poured out, uh, not upon physical things and material things, the last three judgments will be poured out upon men themselves. First four judgments poured out upon the land, poured out on the water, but the last three judgments will be poured out on men themselves. So tonight we're going to look at the fifth trumpet judgment. That's as far as we'll get. And it will last, the fifth trumpet judgment, the Bible says it will last for a period of five months. And it will be so bad that people will try to kill themselves, but death will not come. Now, remember last week, I'm going to see if if you wrote this down or if you remember it. Do you remember last week we said that there would be silence in heaven for a period of 30 minutes? Do you remember why that period of 30 minutes, what, what that represented? All right. That period of 30 minutes that when that all began, begins to unfold and there's this, this silence in heaven for 30 minutes, it's the sense of pending doom. Capital D. The sense of pending doom on the world. And you'll see that very clearly now as we read chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, and when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people. Notice that this is a judgment against people. Only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle on their heads. They they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power of we're told again, to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is 
Abaddon, and whose name in Greek is Apollyon. The first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. So, Revelation chapter 9 has been described as one of the most difficult chapters in the book of Revelation to interpret. Uh, Chapter 9 describes two frightening armies uh, that are liberated and, and will be let loose at just the right time and permitted to judge mankind. Now, one of the questions some people have is, Pastor, is this a literal occurrence? Will these things literally occur? I believe that they will. I believe that this is a literal occurrence that will, that you, that will occur at the, in the last days. So tonight, what we're going to talk about is the army from the pit, which will require a lot of work on our part to understand what that is. And then the next time we're together, Lord willing, we'll talk about the second half of chapter 9, the army from the east, which is the most difficult part of chapter 9 uh, to interpret. Now, to help us understand this chapter, I'm going to use a very simple outline. I hope that you've got the outline there already. Uh, we're going to talk about the star, we're going, to, we're going to talk about the abyss, and we're going to talk about uh, the locusts. So, let's just dig in and try to work our way through this text. Let's talk about the star. Verse 1. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. This word is, is uh, used symbolically, I believe, to refer to a person. Now, the reason I say that I believe this refers to a person is because in verse 2, you see the personal pronoun he. When he, that is the star, opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. So I believe that this star, whatever it is, is referring to a person. Uh, Now, we use that word in today's time, don't we? Give me an example of how we use the word star in today's time to refer to a person. Movie star, exactly. What other? other, However, star athlete, very good. Star student, sounds like a teacher. Star student. Now, One of the questions as you interpret Revelation chapter 9 is, who is this star? If this star is a person, who is this star? Some say that it's just an angel sent to do God's bidding. Uh, Let me show you why they say that. Go back to Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to use your Bibles a lot tonight, so hang on there and go with me. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having a key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So in Revelation chapter 20, it's answered for us who the star is, at least in that part of Revelation, that the star in that part of Revelation is really an angel sent to do God's bidding. Some say that when in Revelation chapter 9, that is again what we have. It's, it's an angel sent to do God's bidding. Except there's a clue in chapter 9, verse 1, that this star did not come down from heaven, but look how it is described. I saw a star that had what? That had fallen from the sky to the earth. Does that sound familiar to anyone? A star that has fallen from heaven? Let me just cut to the chase and tell you that I, and I'll give you the scriptural reference in a minute, 
But I really believe that this is a reference to the devil himself. Because he said, I saw a star that had fallen from the sky. Go to Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. He replied, I saw who? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. The Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Isaiah was prophesying, he says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, and I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the most heights of the sacred mountain." And I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Isaiah was prophesying, I believe, of of Satan and his fall from heaven. God, in His omniscience and providence, gives us, I believe, or gives Satan this key that he has longed for. For the entire time he's been on the earth. I want you to notice something though. Satan doesn't have complete authority. Because would you notice please. That the key has been given to him. Interesting. And we'll talk about why in a moment. But look at it in verse 1 again. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet. I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. I believe that's a reference to Satan. The star was given. Notice this. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. The star was given. Somebody help me here. If I give you a key to my house. If I give you a key to my house. That implies, doesn't it? Who has control over my house? You or me, ultimately. Who has control over my house? You or me. I do. It's my house. It's, it's, it's my keys. But I, if I give them to you for a period of time, I have given you that authority for that time that you have the keys. Satan does not have complete authority, ladies and gentlemen. He's been given the key or will be given the key to the abyss. Now, sometimes it, seem, it seems like he's just running this world, doesn't it? Sometimes it just seems like Satan is having his way. But let me tell you something. The devil is like a dog on the leash. He can only go so far. I don't know if you ever take your dog for a walk. You know, I take my dog for a walk from time to time when Lisa won't do it. And I, I take him or take her. And, uh, you know, she'll see something, smell something, want to go over there. And, and we got one of those leashes that'll go out and, you know, extract and all that. And I just grab that handle and she can't go. She only goes as far as I allow her to go. Same thing with Satan. The devil is not in charge. He likes to act like it, but he's not in charge. Now, one of the questions that that you may have, a question that I had, as I look at this text is, I don't know if you ever asked questions of the Bible, I don't know if you ever asked God questions of things you read, but uh, sometimes it helps you to better understand the, the Bible. But one of the questions that I have is like, God, why would you even bother with him? 
You know, just lock him up, throw the key away. You know, don't you wish he'd do that? Just, uh, why would you give the devil the key to the abyss and, and let him have this authority for a period of time? Uh, why in the world, God, would you allow him to come and, and let there be hell on earth for a period of time? Why not just lock him away and be done with him? Well, I was reminded of two things when I thought those questions. Number one, I'm not God. And God can do anything that He wants to because He's God. He's sovereign. But then I was also reminded of something else. In fact, we talked about it today as an example. In the Old Testament, God often used pagan nations to bring judgment on rebellious people, His rebellious people. Judges chapter 6, we looked at it this morning. The Midianites were pagan people. They were allowed to come bring judgment against the rebellious, God's rebellious people. And throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that again and again, that God used pagan nations, Babylon, pagan nations, to come and bring judgment on His people, His rebellious people. And so at the end of the world, when God is allowing Satan this freedom for a period of time, He's essentially doing what He did in the Old Testament, bringing, allowing them to bring judgment uh, on the world. So that's the star, probably a reference to Satan. And then it gets even more interesting as we talk about the abyss. Notice as we read again in verse 1 and 2, it says, The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. The abyss is also sometimes called the bottomless pit. It's not hell. The abyss is not hell. It's not the lake of fire. Uh, and it's not the final prison of Satan and his followers. But it is a place that exists today that would be much like what we would call hell. Uh, let me give you an example. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is speaking in Matthew 13, and He says in verse 42, They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He refers to hell as the fiery what, church? The fiery what? Fiery furnace. So in Revelation chapter 9, He's describing something like hell, but probably is not hell itself. The Scriptures gives us a, a pretty good insight into what the abyss is like. And I've tried to put this on your notes. First of all, it is a place of confinement of evil and demonic spirits. Look in Luke chapter 8, verse 30. I told you you're going to use your Bibles a lot. Luke chapter 8, verse 30. This is a familiar story, but you may have read past something Previously, when you've read this story, uh, this is where Jesus cast the, the demons out from uh, the man into the pigs. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legions, they replied, because many demons have gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the what? Into the abyss. So in the days of Jesus, 
the abyss existed. And these demons, it was such an awful place, these demons begged Jesus not to send them there. So the abyss is a place of confinement for evil and demonic spirits. We're also told that the Antichrist is today in the abyss and will one day ascend out of that pit. Go to Revelation chapter 17, verse verse 8. Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. So there we get, again, we have a reference uh, to the beast, the Antichrist, coming up out of the abyss. Satan will also be temporarily jailed during the Lord's thousand-year reign, and guess where he is going to be jailed? He will be jailed in the abyss. Revelation chapter 20, go there, verses 1 through 3. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss. Notice this time the angel already has the key. He doesn't have to be given the key, signifying the angels coming from God from heaven. Uh, I believe different from the angel in Revelation 9, or the star in Revelation 9. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So, not only is the abyss a place that currently exists, a place that is a place of confinement for demonic and evil spirits, it's a place out of which the Antichrist will rise one day, And it's also the place where Satan will be temporarily jailed, if you will, for a thousand years as the Lord reigns on the the earth. Now, one other thing about this before we move on, and I can't fully explain this to you, but, but at least can tell you what the Bible says. The Bible speaks of two different kinds of demons. Those that are freely at work in our world today to serve Satan, that's the one kind. That there are demons that are currently at work in our world. And those are the, the demons that Jesus you know, met and he, he cast out the demons from people and those kind of things. So that's one kind of demon. Those that are freely at work in our world to serve Satan. And the second kind of demon are those that are imprisoned by God. Now hear this. This is important. Two kinds of demons. Those that are currently at work in our world today. And then there are another group or set of demons that are imprisoned by God for a time. So where do you get that? We'll go to 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. But if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. And he goes on to to, to use uh, that as an example and explain some things. But just notice that they were put into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. 
Again, two different kinds of demons, those freely at work in our world and those who are imprisoned by God. Now, the reason I'm taking the time to explain all of that to you, evidently there are some demon spirits that are so wicked, so vile, so filthy, so horrific, that God has incarcerated these demonic spirits in this bottomless pit called the abyss. But, listen carefully. During the tribulation, they will be set free to torture and to destroy. Now let that sink in for a moment. There are demons that work in our world today, and certainly they are horrific in what they do and the damage that they cause and the lives that they destroy. But apparently there's another group that are incarcerated, if you will, in the abyss right now. And one day they will be set free to destroy, to, uh, to come about and, and, and to uh, torture people in this world. Can you imagine how awful that's going to be? Uh, that brings us to the locusts. The third part of the outline. Verse 3. Back in Revelation chapter 9. Verse 3. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given a power like that of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass or of the earth, or, or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. There are those who will be divine. God's people during this time will be divinely protected. Verse 5, they, they were not given power to kill them. These locusts were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locus is symbolic language that is referring, I believe, to the demonic spirits that will be unleashed on our world. That those demonic spirits confined to the abyss when they are unleashed, when the pit is opened, when the abyss is opened, these demonic spirits will take over and will begin to, to seek to destroy and torture. Now the reason that I believe that they are demonic spirits is four reasons. And I don't think this is on your notes. You might want to put it in the side column there. Uh, four reasons that I believe these locusts are the demonic spirits in the abyss. Number one is because of their power. Notice their power in verse 3. Out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They, they were given power. Now, certainly it could be regular locusts that are given power, but that's just one piece of evidence. The power that they seemed to have was uh, incredible. Then the second reason is their target. Verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree. That's what normal locusts would do, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. It seems like it's more than regular locusts, though it could be. But it seems like that they were targeting people and told to target the people of the world. 
And secondly, or the third reference is their appearance in verses 7 through 10. We won't take the time to read all of that, but their appearance seems to indicate these are not regular locusts as we would see perhaps like in the Old Testament uh, in the days when uh, uh, locusts came in, in, in the book of Exodus. And then the fourth thing was their king. The fourth reason I believe these are the demons is their king, verse 11. They had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek Apollyon. They had a king, not just like regular bugs or locusts, but, but these locusts had a king, and, and the king's name is destroyer, whether you're Hebrew or in Greek, it means destroyer. Their goal, the goal of these locusts is to torture masses and around the world. To torture everyone who does not have the seal of God on their heads. They will be hideous but powerful. They will be invincible and indestructible. And I want you to think about this. Listen carefully. What would a swarm of demons be like when they are released from hell where they've been chained? For thousands of years. I don't even know how we can fully understand that. That for thousands of years they've been in the abyss. Chained there. Held there. And then one day Satan has is given the permission. He's been given the key to open the abyss, and to let them out. What is it going to be like when perhaps millions of demons come out? John, John describes it in, in picturesque language here. Look how he describes it. Uh, he says, um, verse 2, when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts, or I believe demons, came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. John is using image after image to force us to feel the horror of the judgment that's coming. Now, what kind of damage will this army of demons be able to do? I think there's at least three things that are mentioned here. One is prolonged torture. Prolonged torture. Look in verse 5. <clears throat> they were not given power to kill them. They were not given power to kill anyone. But only to torture them for how long? For five months. It's interesting if you study... A locust, and I know I'm talking about the physical bug here, but, uh, but a locust's lifespan is about five months, from May to around September. That's the length of the time of judgment that will last. And this torment is described as the agony of the sting of a scorpion. I've never been stung by a scorpion. I don't, has anybody here been stung by a scorpion? All right. I, I did a little research on that. In my research, I found that the sting of a scorpion... I didn't know this, but it's seldom fatal. But it's one of the most painful stings known to mankind. Seldom fatal, 
but one of the most painful things you can ever experience. The venom enters your veins, and, and the research I did said it sets, it feels like it sets your veins on fire. The nervous system is attacked, and the pain and the swelling is intense. The effects can last for several days when you get stung by a literal scorpion, but the effects of these demonic stings will last for five months. I mean, have you ever, this is a poor analogy, but it's the best one I can come up with right now. Have you ever been stung by just a mean bee? You know how it hurts. I mean, eventually it kind of wears off and you get used to it. But when that first immediate sting, and it's like, oh, man, that hurts. What if that hurt continued to go for five months? So one of the things that will come out of that time is, is prolonged torture. It's something I think is very interesting. Verse 6, I can't fully explain this to you, but there will be unattainable death. Look at verse 6. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. I don't know that I can fully explain that to you except to say that God is the Lord of life. And the Bible says our times are in His hands. And so though they will seek death and try to commit suicide, it won't work. They'll continue to live. I once visited in the home of a man who was contemplating suicide. And, uh, but you know what? I, I just don't need to tell you that. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't. But if you, if you ever talk to anybody who has contemplated suicide, it's a very hard thing to deal with. I, I, I'm just not going to, I shouldn't even have brought it up. But let me say this. Um, sometimes people get to the point where they want to die. I don't, you, you know probably that we had someone commit suicide on our parking lot here last week, on Wednesday, uh, last Wednesday. Sometimes people get that, to that point where life is so hard. It was not a church member, by the way, if you don't know that story. It was no one related to our church. But sometimes life just gets so hard, life gets so difficult that people want to die. They don't want to live anymore. They, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. They can't see anything getting better. Uh, they think that the only way to, to solve their problem, to solve their, their, their difficulty, the only way to, to deal with what they're going through is to end their life. Uh, by the way, let me just say this. That's a permanent solution to a short-term problem. And it's never a good solution. I, I shared that same thing with some, with. Uh, my class at Anderson, not this semester, but last, well, I did it this semester, but last semester, I shared it with my class at Anderson, warning them about suicide, and I had three students come up after class. And all three of them said the same thing. Thank you for talking about it. There was a day in my life when I tried to do that. 18-year-old kids, three of them. 
There's just sometimes in our lives when, when life becomes too overwhelming, life becomes hopeless, nothing's going to change, nothing's going to get better, and we just want to end it. That's always an awful decision to make. Please don't ever make that decision. But in this text, if there was ever a time it would be warranted, you would think it would be here, and they will try to do that. But God will say, oh no. No. And they'll try to end their life and it will not, they will not be successful. Unattainable death. The third thing that will happen is destruction. Verse 11. I've already alluded to this, but let me just read it to you again. Uh, well, well, I'll tell you what, let me go back to verse 7. The, the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing to battle. Uh, they had their tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power, notice this, the power to torment people for five months. That's an awful thing, but there, again, notice that there is a limit to it. God sovereignly put a limit, five months. And then we come to the destruction. They had as king over them, the angel of the abyss. We talked about how awful the abyss is. What an awful place the abyss is. The angel of the abyss is in charge, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek Apollyon. Abaddon literally means destruction in Hebrew. Apollyon means destroyer. They both mean essentially the same thing. Destructive destroyer. And since his name is given in both Hebrew and Greek, it probably indicates that they will be permitted to attack both Jew and Gentile alike. Jew represented through the Hebrew. Greeks represented, of course, through the Greek language. Now, If you think that's bad, and it is, it's awful, it's, it's just, it's terrible, it's hard to even imagine. Would you notice verse 12? This is perhaps the scariest verse so far. The first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. Two other woes are yet to come. Can I say to you in closing tonight, I've got four applications I want to give you tonight. First of all, could I remind you of what you already know, that Satan's ultimate goal is your total and eternal destruction. His ultimate goal is your, your eternal destruction. May I remind you what I said earlier also, number two, God holds the keys of everything. God is in charge. He is in control. Application number three. Please make sure that you know Jesus. Because God in His mercy and God in His grace is telling us what is to come. This literally is going to occur. This literally is going to happen. And God in His mercy and God in His grace is telling us, Ahead of time. And number four, 
Pray for your loved ones and witness to them so that they hopefully will avoid this day. Pray for your loved ones and witness to them so that they will avoid this day. Let me pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that in your mercy and grace you've made a way for us to know you and to escape the coming wrath, to escape the coming judgment. And I pray if someone here tonight is just kind of thinking, one day I will, one day I'll turn to Jesus, one day after I've had my fun, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd bring conviction, and you'd show them that this is the only day we we have been guaranteed. This is the only day we have. And I pray that this day will be a day of salvation for them. And thank you for reminding us, Father, that you are in charge. You are sovereign. You are Lord. And though there are horrific things on the horizon, there is a heavenly Father above it all. And we put our faith and we put our trust in you. And we thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what one day you will do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.